Pastor Kennedy, do you prefer In-N-Out or Five Guys? Um, depends on the day. Okay. And depends on which one is closer. <laughs> That's a pretty good reason, actually. <laughs> and if I want peanuts, you know, oh, Five yeah. Guys. Yeah, you can't get that at In-N-Out. Right. That's true. And uh, it's kind of hard at Five Guys because Mom taught us don't make a mess. You cannot. There's no way. Everything in that restaurant is messy. The yes. French fries are extra greasy. The burger, it's delicious, but it is so covered in toppings. You, you, for me, with a beard, that's a go to the bathroom afterwards and just wash my whole face. And then the peanuts, yeah. Right. Don't peanut shells on the floor. That's disgraceful. Welcome to season two of 10 Questions with 10 Pastors, brought to you by Gateway Seminary, with your host, Tyler Sanders. This episode was recorded live at the SBC in Anaheim. I'm here with Brian Kennedy, who's senior pastor of Mount Zion Church of Ontario, also affiliated faculty. You're a, 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 a professor of preaching, sorry, at Gateway. So, and you've been doing that for, I think, two years now, right? Yeah. Teaching pre- preaching classes. So I was an adjunct before that uh-huh. and was invited to uh, move to an associate professor. Yeah. And uh, you also have a doctor of ministry with Gateway. Yes. And you've been a pastor at Mount Zion for how, how long have you been pastor there? I'm going to do like the young people, um, almost 24 or oh. 23 and a half. <laughs> 23 and a half. <laughs> That's perfect. Well, uh, what we'd like to do at the beginning here is just hear a little bit about your story. So could you uh, tell us how you became a Christian? Sure. I grew up, I'm a deacon's kid, so I grew up in the church. I know uh, where all the bodies are. (laughs) (laughs) I have seen a lot of cool stuff. I've seen things that hurt. You know, as I'm older and I process those things. And so um, I got baptized as an early uh, youngster and you know, and that whole process of, you know, you get baptized, you're in church, you're in VBS, you're in everything. Mm. But it wasn't until I was in the seventh grade and Dr. E.V. Hill came to the church. And of course, during those days, we had the all week revivals. Sure. And Friday was youth night. And so he had a special message for youth on that Friday night. And I was there our current youth pastor was there. We're childhood friends. Mm. And uh, he gave an invitation, and I got up and walked the aisle. My buddy walked yeah. the aisle. Several of us walked the aisle that night. That was it. Right. And yeah. so I know on that night, I'm sure I believed in Jesus. Mm. I'm sure I knew he rose again from the dead as a youngster coming up. But on that Friday night is when I know I did it. So if I point to a period in my life where I gave my heart to Jesus, that's the period. That's the one. That's the one. That's fantastic. Uh, My next question for you is, uh, what are you reading right now? Have any good books? Well, I just finished Tony Evans' book, uh, The Power of Preaching, but I'm not sure I'm done with Tony. Okay. You know, his book is really profound. and. Mm. A lot of just great tips. It's like having moments with Tony Evans. Yeah. And his discussions on the calling. Uh, He deals with some of the technical aspects of structure of preaching. But he gives that uh, preacher of preachers advice throughout the book. Yeah. And so I'm done, but I'm not sure I'm done. 
Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, that's good because my next question is about preaching, actually. Okay. So I want you to tell us a little bit about your big picture approach. How are you planning out a, a series of sermons? How far out are you looking in the future when you're planning? I um, am preaching through the book of John. And so nowadays you can't really announce that you're doing a series through a long book because <laughs> people will get bored and turned off. And so each sermon is independent. And after a few weeks or so, somebody will come up and say, are you preaching through the book of John? <laughs> but, and I'll say yes, of course. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, I never announce it because yeah. we're in the uh, attention deficit yeah. age. Yeah. And so, and, and people get bored with the word of God for some crazy reason mm. until we make it come alive. Yeah. And then they want to hear it. Yeah. And so I'm preaching through the book of John. So reading through the book of John, it gives you a real clear sense of what direction you're going in. Yeah. And so the whole thought is making Jesus known and helping people understand that he is the son of God. There is someone outside of yourself mm. and there is an authority over your soul. And that's not you and it's not your personal opinion. It's not your friend's opinion. Yeah. It's not the culture's opinion. His yeah. name is Jesus. And he wants to be the Lord over your life. And he is clearly God. He is co-equal, co-existent, and co-eternal with God. Mm. And, and he deserves to have that spot in yeah. your life because of who he is, what yeah. he's done, and what he's going to do, what he's doing right now. And so that's the whole purpose for preaching through the book of John mm. is really, and, and, and especially targeting younger people because they're caught up in this post-christian era yeah they're caught up in this whole idea that we don't need established truth yeah and um i don't really want organized religion right i right. don't want to be in the church yeah it, well the church is not going away yeah and so what do we offer these youngsters who are choosing other religions yeah they're choosing other gods right for them their god is going to the beach and having fun sure or spending all the money they're making or trying to make all the money they can make yeah and so they have all these other gods some of these philosophies that they're buying into um some of the false aspects of christ well let me say it like this mm. the cultural christianity yeah. they're following that yeah yeah but this country is mine and I want it back, and I want money and wealth and power, and that's what Christianity is about, and God is a genie in a bottle. Yeah. So the book of John helps us to deal with this stuff. Yeah. It just systematically opens up conversations that challenge the culture. Yeah. Now, you said when you're reading the book of John, it kind of gives you really the direction. So can you tell me about like your week-to-week -week process of developing a sermon? Well, that's a fun process. Yeah. Actually, I was, okay, so I do this next line of leadership thing at the church, oh. right? These are young adults who will be in leadership. Mm -hmm. And so Sunday I started talking about uh, how to handle the scriptures. Mm -hmm. And one lady talked about how much stress she endures in just prepping for a lesson. Mm -hmm. And wanted to know, is this normal? I'm just under enormous stress. And, and, and I just called my my leader and said, I don't think this is right. And she said, I'm stepping down. 
I shouldn't go through this kind of stress. And, and at the last minute, finally getting something to say in my class and people like it, but the stress. Yeah. And I said, it's not normal. Hmm. That is not normal. If you learn a process on how to approach preparing a sermon or a Bible lesson or whatever you're doing with the scriptures, you will have more joy and excitement yeah. and prepping than you will uh, trying to figure out what you're going to say. Right. And so it starts with preparation. Yeah. There are three parts. It's preparation, interpretation, and then presentation. Mm. Or for the preaching class, it's proclamation. Yeah. All right? And so in preparation, the part that a lot of people want to skip, that is the most critical part in preparing a message, a sermon. And that's where you talk to God about, God, what do you mm. want me to say to your people? Yeah. What are your people going through? Yeah. Uh, Haddon, my buddy, yeah. Haddon Robinson, yeah. <laughs> he said that experienced preachers don't ask about the topic. They ask about who's my audience. Hmm. And so we want to know, God, what do you want me to say to your people? Yeah. And even though we're pastors and know a lot about the people, we still want to know, God, what am I supposed to say to your people? Yeah. What are they going through? Yeah. And then, uh, God, where do you want me to say that from? What yeah. passage of scripture? Yeah. And so, and then we want to get right before God. So if you are preparing a sermon and you know you just cussed out your neighbor, right. you know, you need to go get that right. Yeah. Yeah. How do you expect God to show up in the preparation room yeah. when you're at odds with your neighbor? Yeah. And, 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 or with your wife or with someone else in the church or, or you have, you're harboring bitter feelings for something, whatever it is, you got to get it right. You got to get holy yeah. before God. Yeah. And that, that preparation process, that room, as my, my former pastor who's in heaven, he said the watchtower of prayer, the study chamber of faith, and the watchtower of prayer, that's what he called the study room where you're alone with God and learning from God what you what he wants you to say to his people. And so, and then, you know, I'm an old school guy. Well, let me say it like this. I have a lot of old school training. Mm. And so this is what the old guys say. If the Holy Spirit doesn't show up in the preparation, why are you expecting him to show up in the proclamation? Right. You didn't ask him. Right. You didn't have anything to say to him. And you just want to go out there and showboat. Yeah. And he's not going to show up for you in that setting. Yeah. That's not what he's about. And so preparation. Yeah. And so I spent uh, probably two weeks on that in the first semester. Yeah, that's good. And then we talk about, um, actually, it's more than that because we talk about their call. Mm. And be, be, here, here's, re, here's the reason we have to talk about a preacher's call. It's because there are times you are not going to feel like preaching. Mm. There are times when you feel like you're going through a dry spell. Yeah. And that's when you're not in the word of God the way you should. And yeah. that's why you're feeling dry. Right. All right. And so we got to talk about you preach when you don't feel like preaching. Mm -hmm. And when people don't feel like hearing you preach. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. So it's a call. And, and that's where people don't have to motivate you. Yeah but you are motivated by the Holy Spirit because of that call. Yeah. And, and it's fed by your passion yeah. to get God's word out. So we talk, so that, now that goes on for about three to four weeks. Yeah, I'm sure. Then yeah. we finally get into interpretation. 
And when we get into interpretation, there are several steps. But the first most important step is observation. Mm. And Howard Hendricks hits that. He hits it out the park in his book, Living by the Book. Mm. Observation and the significance of it where you you come into the text like a, like a detective. Yeah. And every small piece of evidence, you're collecting it. And so in observation, you're really trying to look at what did God say? Mm. You cannot bring your, as Dr. Roskup said, don't bring your favorite preacher's interpretation into your preparation of the scriptures. Right. You leave all of that out yeah. and just start milking the text. Yeah. Pull out of there everything you can. Mm. And, and you write down everything you see God saying. Just write it down. And as you're doing the observation process, the main point in the passage begins to surface. Yeah. The main question that you that God is answering in the passage, it begins to surface. Yeah. Your creative juices starts going and all this stuff, but you're just observing right now. Yeah. You you haven't done anything significant. You haven't looked at a commentary. Now if you run across a word you don't understand, look it up because that sure, strengthens yeah. the observation, yeah. right? And, and so you've read this thing 10 times and you're making all these observations and then you begin to look at word studies and then you're looking at the original language. You're looking at yeah. all this other cool stuff and yeah. then at the end, you do the checking principle. That's when you bring your buddies, your scholar mm. buddies to the table. They're called commentaries. And you bring them to the table and consult your buddies yeah. and see what they have to say because they may have insights that you missed. Yeah. And and that will enrich in the interpretation of the passage. So you're, you're functioning as um, an explorer, if you will, and you're going back into history mm. and you're finding out what God said and what God meant when he said it. Yeah. All right. And yeah. so there's those little cool words called hermeneutics and, and yeah. exegesis. Yeah. You know, they're kissing cousins and, yeah. and you're pulling out of there through some principles to make the passage, your interpretation more objective. You're eliminating subjectivity yeah. by using principles, yeah. consistent principles, the yeah. historic interpretation of the text. You're looking at the original language because that's what removes a lot of the subjectivity. All right, so you're going back to find out what did God say mm. and, and what did he mean by this? Yeah. And when you get that, you get the main point of that pericope, that, that yeah. complete thought, yeah. that paragraph at minimum. Yeah. And now that you have that, your job is to bring it into our contemporary context. Yeah. And you are, and the way I teach students to do this is, okay, you're going to do a historic outline first. Mm -hmm. And then, and, and I got this from Don Sanucci at, mm -hmm. uh, over at Talbot. Mm -hmm. He's retired now. Yeah. Uh, and, and everybody was on him about writing the book. So he wrote the book, <laughs> Invitation to oh. Christian Preaching. You know, he did mm -hmm. a great job. Mm -hmm. and, and that's one of my textbooks. Mm -hmm. uh, and so uh, Don talks about having that historic outline. And then a transformational outline. That's where you're taking all of the language that you used in the historic outline, okay. the biblical language, yeah. and now you're using language of today. So you got to use okay. terms 
that people relate to. Yeah. And that's your timeless truth outline. Now, you could preach from that, but you're not ready to preach with a timeless yeah. truth outline. Yeah. So you're getting into proclamation now, and you are fine-tuning that timeless truth outline into a preaching outline. Yeah. And that's the question of, Lord, how do I tell people what you said and what you meant? Yeah. How do I say it in a way that transforms their lives, that meets them where they are, no matter where they are? Yeah. And that's what the preaching outline is about. So all this work that you've put in, the preaching outline makes all of your work practical. Yeah. It helps you to organize your thoughts into a message that people can connect with yeah all the stuff that you did is not all preachable material yeah right all right? right but you will have some preachable material yeah and that comes out in that preaching outline yeah. so then you get this preaching outline and most of your work is done yeah now all you do is put meat on the bones yeah and yeah. you know you're gonna have some kind no matter what kind of sermon you use it can be narrative mm. it can be biography whatever it is it's gonna have some kind of introduction uh-huh where you're gonna introduce yourself and your topic yeah you're gonna get people on the edge of their seat that's your little introduction and then you're going to have some kind of body you know yeah. you're gonna state points re you know reaffirm those points in scripture you got to illustrate yeah. them somehow and then, you know, you're going to get this conclusion thing going, yeah. as Haddon said. Now, look, when you're done with the water, stop priming the pump. <laughs> you need to land that airplane. Yep. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And your conclusion helps you to land the airplane so yeah. people are safe and say, oh, this was a great trip. Right. Which means they're ready to make a decision. Yeah. Uh, for Christ, and and we also put this in our in our courses at Gateway. Mm. Look, now you've done all this work, you've done all this preaching, and then you're gonna get to the end of the sermon and walk away. <laughs> you gotta right. be kidding me! Right? There is no car salesman in this world yeah. that will take you on a test drive and bring you back to the showroom yeah. and shake your hand and say have a good yeah. day see you later they're gonna no shake they're yeah. they're they want to shake on a deal how can yeah. we how can we give you the keys to this car how can we get you to take right. this car home with you right. and that's the invitation yeah you know uh so today we are so caught up in the culture where we don't want to offend anybody. Mm. Uh, we don't want to challenge anybody because we're scared they may not come back to the church. Yeah. You know, the invitation is designed to help people make a decision. Yeah. You know, either you're going to get closer to Jesus, you're going to give up this living together thing and you're going to get married uh, yeah. or you're going to move back home and honor God in this relationship. Uh, you gonna stop smoking dope and mm. and you know yeah. let your body be holy before God, right? Or you're gonna continue in your sin and walk away uncomfortable, and you should. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Or you're gonna give your heart to Jesus. Right. You know, at right. the end of a sermon, there has to be a decision for everyone who is in the room. Yeah. Because that sermon's for everyone in the room. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And so that's kind of. What we have in mind and yeah. and teaching preaching it. Now, it. when you're going through that process, what do you find most enjoyable personally? Do you like the preparation 
section, interpretation, the proclamation? Where do you kind of fit into that? I love to preach it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I promise you. But, but I must admit, um, the hours of getting it ready, mm. um, they must be consistent. Mm. And during that time, you meet with the Holy Ghost. Yeah. So, you know, the preaching and, uh, and experiencing the supernatural superintending of the Holy Spirit during the preaching process is an experience that is second to none. Yeah. But I must also admit that the Holy Ghost coming alongside and illuminating the text for you is also a second to none experience. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, wow, I didn't see that. Yeah. One lady said, well, pastor, you know, um, I appreciate you making, I don't mean any disrespect to God, but this was kind of a boring passage. <laughs> I said, oh, really? And, and, and she said, well, I don't mean it like that. I don't mean any disrespect to God, but it was just kind of boring. Yeah. But you helped me to see what it means today, and, yeah. and you made it come alive. Yeah. Well, the Holy Spirit does that yeah. in the preparation process. Yeah. And so... It, you know, that's good stuff, too. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Now, could you tell me, like, th this is going to be helpful for, for the young guys, I think. Can you share with us a swing and a miss you've had in ministry? A swing? <laughs> well, with 23 and a half years of pastoring. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and actually, I've been in full-time ministry 38 years. Mm. And so I've had a few strikeouts. <laughs> you talk about a swing and a miss. I've struck out. <laughs> and, and so um, I can think about a time when I took extra courses in counseling mm. because I've seen devastating divorces. Mm. And I just want to help yeah. people to rethink their decision to divorce or people who are going through to see how there is another way. Yeah. And the word of God really is our final authority for mm. our practices and what we believe. And there is a practical way for God to show up in your marriage or your relationships. And, and so I wanted to learn more about how to do that. Yeah. And so there were times when I did premarital counseling, I rushed. I rushed yeah. for the wedding date. Yeah, yeah. So a couple came to me last minute you know uh, we want you to do our marriage our ceremony our wedding ceremony and 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 you know well you know i require premarital counseling oh okay we could do that yeah and it was just rush 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 i didn't mm. have time to really uh see how the lady was covering up for this guy mm. and and they just rushed rushed and and it was my fault mm. and that marriage did not last a year because if I would have took my time and followed the premarital counseling manual that I wrote, mm. um, I would have saw through yeah. this guy like nobody's business. He was not there for the long haul. Mm. He was there for convenience. Yeah. And she just wanted to be loved. Yeah. And he told her he loved her. Yeah. And that was all she needed to hear. Yeah but it was not a legitimate relationship. Yeah. So that was a strikeout. Yeah. Now, it's interesting you bring that up because uh, I had someone earlier who, I, I asked what, um, what a, the most difficult passage 
or topic they preach on. And that's something that comes up sometimes. Divorce is a really tough one to preach on. But let me ask you, what, what do you find has been a really difficult passage or topic to preach on? You know, since it's all in the Bible, mm. it's all relevant. Mm. And I don't look at those passages as difficult to preach on. I kind of back up, zoom out and say, God, now look, you put this in the Bible. You obviously want us to learn something from this passage. Mm. Even people who are in the middle, the thick of this. Yeah. It could be adultery. It could sure. Whatever it is. Yeah. Um, and I'm not here for <laughs> a personality contest. Mm. I'm here as your man yeah. to bring a relevant word to your people. And I want to be that God. But I need you to show me. Yeah. How this passage speaks to the women who do not have the baby. Samuel's mom, mm. you know, here she yeah. is. She's crying out in the temple and 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 God blesses her. Mm. She gets a baby. And she gets more than one baby. Yeah. You know, Elizabeth, she gets a baby. Sarah gets a baby. But there are several women who want to have children who don't get a baby. And they've gone to the temple and they've cried out. Yeah. All right. And then you get to Mother's Day and yeah. they want to have a child. Yeah. And so the Lord has shown me how to honor people who struggle <laughs> with life. Yeah. The curveballs in life. Yeah. And on difficult days like Mother's Day and incorporate them into the celebration because innately God has given them motherly characteristics. Hmm. And it's like, okay, maybe you don't get a baby to come through your womb hmm. and you don't experience childbirth as others. Yeah. But that does not discount you. It doesn't mean you're knocked out the box. It doesn't mean you can't be a mother. There is some child who needs a mother mm. and you be their mother yeah and you love them and all of the motherly characteristics god has given to you just like he's given to every woman yeah you give those to them and so those are difficult subjects yeah in the life of the church yeah and and god has given us a way to make those passages yeah that don't come true for everybody yeah to yeah. come alive for everybody. Yeah. So my next two questions are related. So uh, I want to know what you think a pastor cannot learn in seminary. And then what what is something that like a pastor, a student, like they have to get seminary. If they, if they make it through seminary without getting this thing, it hasn't been worth it. What are those two things? Okay. Uh, what is it that you can't not get in seminary? Yeah. What well, can you not get there? <laughs> um, or in I, the classroom, at least. Right. Yeah. What, what I appreciate is um, when I was in seminary a million years ago, um, we, were, we had a lot of emphasis on the intellectual aspects, mm. the academic aspects of it. And what was happening during that time is pastors were crashing and burning 
They're going into churches preaching these great seminary notes, you know, these theology class notes, and people are looking at them like, what? Huh? Yeah. And so they're crashing and burning out there. And so spiritual formation began to mm. become popular yeah. in seminaries and helping students to connect with the living God for yourself. Right. You have to transform. Yeah. You have to have a relationship with the living God that's meaningful, that's thriving, and not just surviving. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and then you have something to offer people because, um, who was it that came to our, I can't remember his name. Um, he actually came to our class one time uh, when I was in uh, one of my seminary classes. He said, you know, your public ministry is directly correlated but your private devotion. Yeah. And whatever's going on in your private world is going to come out in your public ministry. Yeah. It may not come out tomorrow. Yeah. But it's going to come out. Yeah. In some way or another, right? And so seminaries began to really push spiritual formation and, and help uh, students' education become more complete, their experience. Seminary really is not designed to make you something yeah. it's designed to help you develop into what god has called you to be yeah and give you the foundation and a lot of practical tools to apply yeah when you go out into ministry and so the thing that seminary cannot give you is seasoning mm. <laughs> that's a good way to put that you yeah know? yeah you get seasoning by doing the work. Right. By being with people, by yeah. preaching and teaching and yeah. doing missions and running into problems and solving, com dealing with conflict. Right. And, right. and everything is not going to go your way. And so your really nice, neat theological system that you've put together yeah. is going to be challenged. Yeah. All right, and so now you gotta back off of what you thought was the way to present it and come at it from another angle and you gotta allow the Holy Spirit. So seasoning is yeah. what we can't give students. Yeah, yeah. But we can sure get them ready for some good seasoning. Yeah, that's right, right. And what do you think, What and the, the second part, like what do you think a student has to get when they're in seminary? Like what's that thing that they have to you cannot come out of seminary without an enriched relationship with the living God. Mm. If you study all this stuff. Yeah, I miss that. And you still a racist right. when you walk out of seminary. Yeah. You have a problem. Yeah. You have missed it. Yeah. And it doesn't matter. You could be a black racist or a white racist mm. or a brown racist. Mm. All right. If you walk out of seminary and you still feel like committing adultery is okay. Right. You have missed it. Yeah. If you walk out of seminary feeling like it's about me, myself, and I, and I'm mm. going to be a superstar, yeah. and this thing is going to explode, and I'm going to be on stage with lights and smoke, and, right. and you know my name is going to be this and that, and I'm going to write 50 books. If you come out of seminary with that mentality, with yeah. the stardom mentality, you have missed the whole purpose for seminary. Yeah. We are building leaders. Mm who will go into the world and represent the living God as ambassadors. We're the highest ranking representatives of God on planet earth. Right. And seminary is designed to help enhance that. Yeah. And you got to get that. Yeah. That's good. 
That's really good. Uh, my last question for you. If you could go back 23 and a half years, what, would you, what advice would you give yourself as a young pastor? What would you tell yourself? What's that one nugget you would give yourself? I would continue. I, I would say, Brian, listening to your pastor was the right thing to do. <laughs> I have good pastors. I mm. came up under good pastors. Uh, my pastor in Sacramento, Ephraim Williams, loved me like his own son mm. and supported me, pushed me, gave me tools before I went to college, told me what church to attend when I went to college. I didn't look for any other church in San Diego. <laughs> I went to the church my pastor said attend. Yeah. Yeah. And when I got there, I found another pastor, mm. S.M. Lockridge, who took note of me mm. and looked out for me. And, and wrote me a check for $2,000 to go to seminary. Wow. Told me my first calling was the calling to preparation. Yeah. I need to go to seminary, not do my MBA program. He changed my plans. Right. He told me, wow. I, I know you want to be an accountant and all this, but if you feel this call to ministry, you need to go to seminary. Yeah. And I listened to my pastor. Yeah. And, and my pastor in los angeles william brent who's in heaven told me now brian i know you don't you go into that church try to change things off <laughs> <laughs> you go there you love the people you preach yeah. and you love the people yeah and that was the best advice mm. i could have received yeah from my pastor yeah. because it's like missions you go in and you learn yeah you mm. learn the language you learn the beliefs and the practices of people. You learn what their needs are. Yeah. And you begin to meet people's needs. Yeah. And, 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 and as God gives you vision, you begin to share that vision. And you incorporate people into that vision. And you move together as a church in unity to fulfill that vision for the Lord's glory. Yeah. You know, and my pastors taught me that. Yeah. So I would say, Brian... Following your pastor's instructions was a good thing. I would do it all over again the same way. That's wonderful. Well, that's all I had for you. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for everything you shared. I really appreciate it. God bless you. Nice to be here.